I'm hard. I'm so hard. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Oh, we don't have time for that. No. Welcome back <coughs> to the Cold War show, Ray. We've got too much, too much Israel right. to talk about. Yeah. Let me look here. Let, let me just say this real quick. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Boom, I'm here all week. Try the veal. <laughs> We're uh, picking up sort of where we left off last right. time in episode 134, talking about uh, Zionism, really. The uh, yeah. different, the fathers of Zionism. Right. Uh, and the, and the, the development of the idea of moving to Palestine and how it actually went down, going back to the late 19th century, mm-hmm. it really started to uh, become, a, become a thing. Yeah. Um, by 1881, on the eve of the start of the first Zionist Jewish influx to Palestine after the pogroms in Russia that we mentioned in our last episode, Right. Palestine's Palestine's population was about four hundred and fifty-seven thousand people. Damn. About four hundred thousand of them were Muslims. About thirteen to twenty thousand were Jews, mm-hmm. and about forty-two thousand were Christians. Probably mostly Greek Orthodox. Right. So. Quite a lot of Jews there even before the start of the Zionist influx. Some people mm-hmm. were there, had already established themselves, were, were you know, making, making it happen over there. Right, right. But they were a very small percentage of the total population. They were about 5%, maybe th- two, two, three to 5% of the population of Palestine at the time. And their goal is to take over. Wow. Well, I don't know about their goal, but certainly the some, goals, the goal of the, goal. yeah, the, some of the early Zionists who came over was to take over. Right. But no, I think the ones that were already there had been living there peacefully, their families for a long time with mm-hmm. the Muslims and the Christians, relatively yeah. speaking. Um, I don't think they had any aspirations to take over the place, the people that had been there for generations. They were just doing the do, right. getting by, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the, the new Jews that came over that wanted to take over the place. Yeah. Well, I now, think, yeah. they're... Mm. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they'd been there for some time. They learned the lay of the land. They were working hard. They weren't causing any trouble. They weren't giving any trouble to the Turkish authorities or, you know, messing with the local Arabs like maybe some of these other Jews, these newer Jews were doing in the area. I think they just learned their niche in the place and they were getting along and their world, just like the Arab world, is about to be turned upside down and they don't have any more control over it than the other locals do. But this is a movement that's building and it's coming and it's going to affect everybody in the area. Yeah, indeed. Now, there were, on top of that thirteen to 20,000 Jews number I mentioned before, there were several thousand more Jews mm-hmm. who lived in Palestine but were not Ottoman citizens. 
This is just those right. numbers before the ones that were actually Ottoman citizens at the time. But the, the overwhelming majority of the population were Arab, were Muslim, and about 70% of them were rural. Right. They worked the land. That's what most Arabs did. Uh, yeah. The land wasn't great. It was desert and uh, you know, not a lot of irrigation, etc., etc. But that's what they did. They worked right. the land. Now, yeah. most of the Jews who lived there were poor and relied on foreign charity from wealthy Jewish donors like the Rothschilds to survive and establish a beachhead. Some lived in the cities, uh, were, were merchants and, and traders, but uh, they weren't like the rich elite there. They were mostly right. poor, apparently, as, as was everybody, mostly. I mean, the Arabs were poor, the Jews were poor. Everyone there was poor apart from the, the 1% you know, that you always have yeah. in every population. Right. Um, and these would have been mostly, you know, sort of Turks. Some, some Christians, some Turks that had done well in that area. We talked about mm -hmm. uh, this a little bit during our Syria Civil War series. Now, the Arab population was sort of spread out in apparently seven to 800 small villages and hamlets, kind of ranging in size from as small as 100 people up to as big as maybe 1,000 people. Wow, gotcha. The, that's where most of the Arabs uh, lived in Palestine at the time. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the one big fear that everybody had, the one big risk, because, like you said, very few people are successful. They're just getting by day by day. But there are bands of Bedouins coming in uh, east of the Jordan, raiding the places. And, of course, it, to them, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, Christian, Arab, whatever. If you've got stuff that they, that they want or they need, they're going to take it. So this is not exactly a happy camp that's going on here. And you've got occasional raiders coming in, taking things. So this is not anywhere near paradise. But I don't think the... Uh, the average Jew who's living in Europe right now knows these kind of details. They're just being told God wants us to go back to this area as soon as we possibly can. These people have got it pretty hard. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so during the first half of the 19th century, land had usually been owned by the villagers. Communists. Privately or Sorry. Privately or collectively, <laughs> yes, in the form of communism. Right. And as I said before, the agriculture was pretty primitive, not a lot of irrigation, etc. But then, as the Ottoman Empire started to stumble and weaken uh. in the second half of the 19th century, the Ottomans started to raise taxes. Mm. They, they needed money because sign. they needed to def defend themselves. Right. They needed to build bigger armies, modern armies. Uh, and they raised taxes, and these, these poor farmers in Palestine went broke. Yeah. They, they couldn't afford to pay the taxes. So as they went broke, a lot of the land that they were working on was acquired by wealthy Ottoman tax agents. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the great scams right. in history. A bit like blame the Jews for somebody dying so you can take their land right. is you raise the taxes on somebody so they can't afford to pay it, then you take their land. Um, and so a lot of wealthy Ottomans were grabbing up land in Palestine, uh, and and in large part because they were they were real estate speculators. Mm -hmm. Now there was this view that uh, citrus orchards were going to be a big thing. It's a bit like California in uh, the early twentieth century. Right. Citrus was going to be a big thing. 
to get rid of the scurvy. Uh, and so, so they were they were yeah. they were buying up this land, thinking they might be able to turn it into citrus farms. Oh but in the first in the first period, after these tax agents would buy the land from the villagers, they would allow the villagers to keep working oh. in the fields as tenant tenant farms. Oh, thank you. Now, some of these wealthy landowners, these uh, Ottomans, didn't even live yeah. in Palestine. Some, some lived in Beirut, in Damascus. Some lived as far away as Paris. They Chilling. were just buying up land. Yeah. There were rich people buying up land wherever it was, thinking they could flip it. I'll flip it down the track, <laughs> make two, three times my money. It's all good. <laughs> Pull a Tony. Um, yeah. <laughs> that Tony doesn't flip real estate. No, I don't know. I'm just... You know, he's savvy, is all should I'm saying. Listen to our, he's savvy. Should, you should listen to our QAV show, man. Seriously, yeah. t- Tony is smart, smart motherfucker. When, and the QAV show, I'm learning so much about how to be how to be smart you just, you, from that show. You just need some money to get started. No, no, the thing that impressed me the most, I'll just make this real quick. When we had the big crash, uh, what, 08, whatever it was, I lose my job, you, you know, you lost everything. Here's this guy borrowing money to snatch up as much as he can, thinking after he does his research what's going to survive and, and rise again. I mean, just fucking brilliant Lex Luthor level uh, brilliance. And I, I've, just been, <laughs> I've just been in awe of him ever since you told me about that. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we've got a lot of people subscribing to the show now. A lot mm-hmm. of them are very successful business people right. who've sold businesses and have got millions and very successful you know, in their careers. And they're all writing me emails going, this is seriously the greatest thing ever. Nice. This is the, I've never had anyone explain to me how to think about investing in stocks like Tony does. This is unique. And these people are saying, listen, I've, I've bought all the newsletters and the books and all gone to the courses and all that kind of stuff. No one even comes close to what Tony's doing. I I can see that. I can see Tony. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Because he's just, yeah, he's down to earth, very, he's got a system, and he's just teaching the system. It's brilliant. Nice. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. Back to, he's not a Jew, though. So that's, <laughs> no. That's <where> we're <laughs> um, he's. Jewy. No, go ahead. Well, he's, <laughs> he's rich, but he's. He's, he's, he's more Viking, because he's like six, 16 or something. I don't know what the hell. He's yeah. more Viking. Yeah, than yeah. Seven foot five, <laughs> and big, massive red hair. Anywho, so they were working as tenant right. farmers, uh, these villagers. Then, as I said before, in the late 19th century, this uh, idea that citrus cultivation was going to be a big thing right. was starting to take off, and people were speculating on the land. Prices as, prices of the land was going up. And it the, the land started to be bought by Zionists who wanted to move to Palestine. They weren't buying... The land from the locals, right. usually. Right. They weren't buying it from the villagers. It's not like, and I've heard it depicted this way by Israelis uh, before. They say, well, you know, our people came here and bought the land. So that's, you know, the the, the Arabs went, sure, here, have my land. They're like, thanks very much. We will. Nice, yeah. nice to do business with you. So, like, they, what are they complaining about? According to the books I've read, anyway, um, in the majority of cases in the early stages, that's not what happened. Right. They were buying it from out-of-town wealthy landowners who were land speculators. Didn't give I mean, a shit. and again, I mean, that's yeah. nothing illegal about no. that aspect of it. 
that's fine. It's I wouldn't even say that's uh, sneaky, but you can understand why the Arabs were upset right. about it. Is that first their land had been taken away by the Ottomans, and then the Jews were buying it and moving in. And of course, the Arabs and the Jews didn't really like each other, as we explained in one of the last episodes. And the Jews that did come in treated the Arabs very badly, but yes. that's another issue. Jeez. So they were buying up land from a lot of these uh, wealthy landowners. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, some of the uh, landowners that were selling this to were maybe Arabs. Some were Christians. Mm. Um, you know, they, they were a range of people who didn't really care either about what the locals thought about. I mean, everyone knew what the Zionists were planning at this stage. Right. Why, that, why they were buying this so land, making what money. was going on. But no one... Yeah. Yeah, they were making money, so no one really cared. Right. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is, uh, I think it was Ahad Khayyam at the end of the last episode said, the Jew, the, sorry, the, the Muslims, the Arabs here know what we're doing, but they don't, they're not really doing anything about it right now. And I think one of, this, one of the reasons why the Arabs in the early stages of the, the immigrations, the Jewish immigrations, didn't arc up more than they did is because, as I explained in the first episode, at this point, you've got to keep in mind that the Jews were seen as a weak, useless, spineless race of people that right. had never fought back for thousands of years, had been kicked around, sand kicked in their face. <laughs> no one took them seriously. Right. They were taking the, their money. The, the, world's, yeah. the world's bitch slaps. Right. Bitch, bitch slapping. If you need to slap a bitch, yeah. you find a Jew and slap them yeah. because they'll take it. Yeah. Because they believe that God's not happy with them. Right. And so Jeez, they're like, Thank, please, you know, the, the original turn the other cheek. Right. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was a Jew. He came up with that. It was like, slap me on this side. Slap me on the other side, dude. God probably wants it. Here, right. here's my bottom. Smack me on the bottom too, you know. That's for me. Kick me, beat me. Right. It's not that I enjoy it uh, all the time. It's just that <laughs> I probably deserve it. Yeah. And if I enjoy it, it's just... If bonus. I didn't deserve it, right? God would have sent the Messiah by now. He hasn't, so... Jesus who? No, <laughs> sorry. Not the Messiah. Don't know where you heard that. Wrong. Doesn't look like the Messiah. Doesn't meet any of the characteristics of the Messiah. Go see Cameron's film when it comes out. <laughs> Big poster on my fucking wall now of that. I saw Huge. the picture. AO I love it. Poster. Love the love the poster. Great poster. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's why the well, I think one of the reasons why the Arabs didn't really pay much attention early stages. They're like Jews. Pff, we can take the Jews. What are they? What are <laughs> if they? we need to. Yeah. But yeah. No, sorry. You I, want to say I, I think I read. It might have been Herzl. I honestly can't remember, but I think it was Herzl. Something about when they were first buying land, um, just buy whatever the fuck you can, because the Zionists realized that land ownership in the area was the underpinnings. I think that was the word they used of Zionism. So, even if it's not the greatest land, even if it costs a little more, because you know it's land speculation, whatever. The point is, they're trying to lay the foundation. They know that if they can get get in there and be actual owners of the land, that's going to press their argument much further than any kind of religious or moral argument. The fact that they own the land, so they're just getting in there. And like you said, a lot of these people who don't even live there but own the land are making a ton of money, and they couldn't care less. So everybody's happy except for the local Arabs, but. You got to think at some point they're going to get pissed off and react to what's going on. So more Arab farmers, of course, in this process are losing their land, and as right. we'll see uh, later on, we're losing the right to even work it as tenant farmers because the oh, Jews God. only wanted other Jews to work the land. Right. 
1881, about a third of the population of Palestine were urban. As I said before, about two-thirds or 70% were rural, but about a third were urban. They lived in the cities, mostly mm-hmm. Jews and Christians. And by 1880, Jerusalem's population was about 30,000 people, about half of which were Jews. Damn. So I said earlier on there was about thirteen to 20,000 mm-hmm. Jews in Palestine now, at this period. Yeah. Pretty much all of them are living in Jerusalem. Gotcha. And they're about half the population of Jerusalem. Right. Now, the people who lived in the towns were obviously nurtured by the Ottomans. If, if, if you're the Ottoman Empire yeah. and you're, you need civil administrators, tax collectors, judges, police, civil servants, etc., you go to the urban centres. Mm-hmm. And the urban centres at this period were mostly Jews and Christians. So right. they tended to get those jobs. Now, with those jobs came the big bucks. Yes. And also a little bit of, little bit of political coverage too. Mm-hmm. If you can get friends of yours uh, that are judges and police and tax collectors on your side, uh, you know, you've, you've got a little bit of political coverage, you know, and, and, and law enforcement coverage in your area. Right. Um, and they were making good money. They were particularly compared to the poor villagers and the tenant farmers that were basically... Scraping by. But that said, Jews in the Ottoman Empire, of course, were treated as second class citizens, as were all non Muslims. Right. Christians and Jews in the Muslim Empire had to pay a tax for a special tax for non believers, and they had certain restrictions about you know, what they could own, what they could do. J- Jews were treated the same throughout the world. Right. Uh, well, at this stage, uh, and throughout Europe, anyway. I don't think they had to pay any special taxes in places like the United States, which is why a lot of them were going there. Yeah. Um, now, uh, strife between Jews and Muslims, of course, goes way back, way back to Muhammad's time, mm-hmm. way back to 622. Come back. <laughs> Let's go back. We're going back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wavy lies. To 622. What happened? In 622, Ray. Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll go through this, but I wanted to get your opinion on something. So, yeah, near the town of Medina that Muhammad migrated from, uh, that Muhammad migrated to from Mecca. Um, So when he's there in 622, there are three Jewish tribes in the area. And they, being Jews, um, do decide not to submit to Muhammad's teaching. So they're going to have to be dealt with one way or the other. And let's face it, the uh, easiest way is to deal with them by force. So two of the tribes, the Banu Kenuka and the Banu al-Nadir, are simply expelled from the area. They lose their lands, they lose their properties. In fact, one of those tribes, the Nadir, is going to be slaughtered by Muslims two years later. There's a third tribe, the Kureza. Um, they're still in the area and they're not complying with Muhammad's wishes. And so I think somewhere between six and 900 of their men were grabbed and decapitated. Their women and children were sold into slavery and given to, uh, by Muhammad to his followers. And there was a fourth tribe, but they saw how things were going. They surrendered and they were allowed to stay, uh, to stay but obviously they had to pay an annual tax or tribute uh, to the masters of the land. So some people say that the very tension between these two groups goes right back to the very beginning of when their two religions started um, interacting with each other. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, but I also wanted to get your thoughts on one book said, and, and again, I just find this fascinating, that maybe the um, 
the people of Islam have suffered from maybe a jealousy or an inferiority complex uh, because they come behind, their, their religion is not as old as the Jews or the Christians. Do you think there's anything to that, or is it just good old-fashioned power struggle and how their the two religions started interacting very Pulling violently? Pulling out a bar, and I'm looking for some action. <laughs> but like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. I don't The girls know. are all around, but none of them want to get with me. My threads are fresh, and I'm looking deaf. Yo, what's up with LOC? The girls all chunking at the other end of the bar, having drinks with no-name chump when they know that I'm the star. So I got up and strolled over to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy, why are you so fly? He said, funky, funky cold Medina. Medina. Love that song. Sorry, I can hear that in my ears. You can't hear no. it. Um, second, what was your question about Jews and Medina? Just- did they feel just what? the uh, the idea that they have a uh, inferiority complex coming you know behind not as being old as a Judaism or a Christianity? Do you think there's anything to that, or just good old fashioned power play about basically starting off killing each other? And it hasn't changed much since then. Oh, yeah, it's like the Christians feel bad about the Jews because they were there before them. The Muslims feel bad about both yeah. of them. They came before them. Uh, yeah, look, I'm sure there's a little bit of that in there. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. We're the, we're the, <laughs> right, have to kill we're you the chosen ones. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, it wasn't like that. But, you know, I think that the Muhammad had his thing he had to do. He had to go to Medina. The Jewish tribes around there tried to yeah. stop him. So he subdued them by force, took their lands. Simple, simple economics. So, you know, my people need this place. Get out of my way. You know, it's like Caesar yeah. and the Gauls, man. It's this. I don't take it personally. It's just business. Yeah. Now, okay. So the 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 strife between the Jews and the Muslims goes right, right. back to Muhammad. Is the point of all of that without wanting mm. to get bogged down in it. But Jews, as I said before, like Christians, were allowed to live in Muslim lands. Right. They had to pay a special tax for non-believers. They were forbidden to strike a Muslim, forbidden to carry arms, forbidden to ride horses, uh, forbidden to build new houses of worship or repair old ones, and they had to wear distinctive clothing. It is what has sometimes been referred to as contemptuous tolerance. It's a bit like our relationship. Uh, The Jews... Under Muslim rule, fared better than the Christians, though, mostly because they were poor and harmless and no one was worried about the Jews rising up. The Christians, on the other hand, always posed a bigger threat because there were powerful Christian nations, rich Christian nations surrounding the Muslim empires that could turn on them and invade them as they had done, uh, you know, during the Crusades, etc., so it's a complex relationship between Islam and Christianity in that period. As I'm sure everyone knows, Islam actually does recognize Jesus as a prophet. Uh, so they kind of have a, a fondness for Jesus and the Christians a little bit. But at the same time, they also see, saw them as a Absolutely. military threat. Um, even, yeah. even today, they're a military More threat. More so. Uh, mass violence, though, towards Jews happened less often in Muslim lands than it did in right. Christian lands. Yeah. It did happen, but less often. So Jews got treated better 
under Islam <laughs> than they did under Christianity. I don't think most people know Ages. that or wouldn't or would have a hard time believing that. People in the West, that is. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But again, they saw the Muslims saw the Jews as hopeless kicks in in their face, yeah. uh, weaklings who had achieved nothing, <laughs> who God hated. Um, and they were kind of nobodies. So when they started flowing oh, into shit. Palestine right. in the thousands in the late 19th century, as I said before, the Jews <laughs> were like, hey, fucking what? Uh, they didn't pay right. much attention because nobody cared. The Jews were useless. They'd been kicked around by everyone for thousands of years, so no one really was worried about it. So they're buying yeah. up some land. We'll just take it back off them. You know, when we, yeah. when we get yeah. sick of it. Don't worry about it. It's and there's important. more Jews in the cities than we've seen lately. But, you know, maybe they won't stay. Maybe they're just tourists. They'll spend some money and leave. I don't know. So, But, yeah, I think by the time the Ottomans or whoever start to realize what's going on, I, I imagine the Jews are, you know, a force to be reckoned with at that point because of the money, because of the support, uh, because of their willingness to hard, work hard. So, again, by the time it's noticed, I think it, in some ways it's almost too late, unless you do something radical. Um, there was a Muslim politician who was the mayor of Jerusalem mm. a couple of times in the 1870s uh, called Yusuf al-Khalidi. Uh, in 1899, he wrote a letter to Zadok Khan, the chief rabbi of right. France, where he said he was worried about the acquisition of lands in Palestine by Jews that was being supported by foreign money, could see where it was leading. And he said, look, in theory, the Zionist idea is completely natural, fine and Mm -hmm. just. So in theory, sure, more than happy for the Jews to have a land where they can feel at home. But he said, in practice, you have to, you know, be realistic, uh, and and you have to recognise that the Holy Land is important to hundreds of millions of Christians right. and Muslims. You're not going to be able to just take yeah. it by buying it up and kicking everyone else out. He said the Jews could only acquire Palestine by war. It is necessary, therefore, for the peace of the Jews in the mm-hmm. Ottoman Empire, that the Zionist movement... Stop! Good Lord, the world <laughs> is vast enough. There are still uninhabited countries where one could settle millions of poor Jews who may perhaps become happy there and one day constitute a nation. In the name of God, let Palestine be left wow. in peace. They've been warned. Yeah. Now, this letter, this letter was passed on to Theodore Herzl, who apparently replied to Yusuf D.L. Qaidi saying, you don't need to worry, the Jews are only going to bring good things, material benefits to the country. He's not... It's all good. He's not wrong, but there's obviously going to be more to it than that because they're not just... God didn't tell them, I want you to go there and get along with everybody and don't change anything. This is your land. This is your home. And I, when you go there, obviously you're going to make it yours. So is that naivete on his part or he's just playing the political game? Well, I think he said, this brother told me a secret <laughs> on how to get more chicks. Put a little Medina in your glass and the girls uh, will come real quick. 
It's better than any alcohol or aphrodisiac. A couple of sips of this love potion and she'll be on your lap. Do you think you can get away with that uh, song no. now? Follow-up uh, question. Is that your black voice? Or your rapper yes. voice? You're, you just said it was called hey, rapper well, voice. To be, to, it's, my t- it's my tone like <laughs> voice, to be specific. So I gave some to my dog when he began to beg. Then he licked his ball and looked at me and did the wild thing on my leg. He used to scratch a bubby before he was much meaner. But now all the poodles run to my house for the funky, funky cold Medina. <laughs> oh, you were entertaining yeah. I don't yourself. think. Yeah. I don't think he's getting away with that song today, Tone Like. No. no. I don't think that's fine. Um, he'd be me too, the fuck out of Dodge <laughs> with that song, man. <laughs> and rightly so. He's yes. basically he and Cosby. Cosby would like that. Yeah, right. Cosby, all over that fucking song, man. Probably had it on replay. Um, no but, one else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so, but I want to get back to this thing. So, like, people yeah. are warning. The Jews, uh, yeah. you know, including this Jerusalem mayor, Muslim dignitary, Al-Khalidi, saying, listen, this ain't going to fly. You can't just come and do this. Go do it somewhere else. Uh, totally, as I said before, I think most Muslims didn't really have anything against the Jews, didn't really have anything against the idea of a Zionist land for the Jews to live in. Right. They would just say, you can't come and take yeah. our land. This is our Left. land. You can't come right. and take it. Um. But the Jews were like, it's, look, it's going to be fine. It's Theodore Herzl's like, don't yeah. worry about it. It's all going to be good. The quality be of life will you, go you, up. You, 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 You're welcome. You're worrying yourself about right. nothing. Don't right. worry about it. Yeah, it's all going to be good. <laughs> now, by the outbreak of World War One in 1914, it's estimated there were probably around 60,000 Jews in Palestine. Oh, my God. So from 1881 to 1914, population had gone from sort of 15,000 to 60,000. Right, Jesus. Three times as many Jews, at least. Uh, trip, population of Jews in Palestine had tripled in the span of a generation. Land prices in Palestine went up between 1910 and 1944 as much as 5,000%. Jeez. Oh my God. Someone's making a lot of money. That's why they don't care. Well, they did care, some people. Yeah, the ones who. Um, but. Well, not even them. No, I mean, the Ottomans cared as well. Mm. Basically, I mean, if you try and put this into a... Like, your country, my country, everyone's up in arms at the moment about illegal immigration. Oh, the immigrants are coming. You, they're crossing over the border from Mexico here. They're coming in by boats. Particularly the right wing are all up in arms about immigrants. The immigrants are coming... Um, they're going to change our culture. In, Australia, in Australian media, there's a lot of stuff, particularly in the Murdochy right-wing media, there's always been a lot of stuff for the last 30 years about, well, last okay, maybe 15, 20 years. Muslims are coming. We're, all, we're going to end up with Sharia law. Um, if the Muslims come, everyone's right. going to have to wear a hijab. It's going to be Sharia law. They're going to be marrying 12-year-old girls. <laughs> there's all this fear-mongering going on. That, combined with the Chinese are coming and they're buying up all our real estate, we're going to basically be a Chinese province yes. before too long. Um, so these sorts of worries are taken seriously by people today in our countries, mm-hmm. particularly people that are conservative, right-wing. 
And yet when you talk about the Israelis buying Palestine, they're like, well, that was that was yeah. fine. There's no problem about that. But the, the Palestinians probably felt exactly the same <laughs> as these people feel now. Hey, hey hold on yeah. a second. Slow down. You're taking over our land. Yeah. You can't just come in here and take... I don't care if you're buying no, it. That's not the point. This is our land. Right. It's, it's mass immigration in the country. And every... Every country cares about uh, the, you know, their immigration and who they let in and how many of who they right. let in. Nationalism is strong. Uh, yeah. The Palestinians uh, had as much right to think about those issues then as people do today. But the landowners and the Jews didn't really seem to care much about the locals and how they felt that they were getting kicked off their land. But the Ottomans were worried about the Jews right back from 1881. They were aware of Zionist intentions. Uh, And by the way, the Ottomans and the Palestinians saw these people not as Jews. They saw them as Russian Jews. They are Russians who are moving en masse into our lands. By the way, if you're the Ottoman Empire, who's your arch enemy? The Russians. Ah. So the thousands, tens of thousands of Russians. Another layer are moving to our country yeah. and buying it up. They could be a fifth column buying up Ottoman Ooh. lands to launch an attack on right. us. Uh, so when you look at it from that perspective, oh, yeah. their concerns, not just the local villages, but the uh, the concerns of the Ottoman Empire's administration mm-hmm. is understandable. In 1882, the Turkish governor of Palestine posted an announcement declaring that no one would be permitted to settle in Palestine. When the first Jews started to arrive from Russia, he uh, he ordered uh, his people to bar Russian, Romanian and Bulgarian Jews from landing on on the coastline, Haifa and Jaffa. They weren't allowed to even land. Jeez. And then on July 1st, 1882, he completely banned Jewish settlement. Trumped it. The following year, he was instructed to stop the sale of state lands to Jews, even if they were Ottoman citizens. So they get into a game of cat and mouse. Jews are trying to buy land and and land on the land. And the Ottoman administration of Palestine is trying to stop them from doing those things. So the immigration in this first wave after the pogroms, was mostly illegal immigration by Jews into Palestine. Do you know how ironic it is to hear you say that with everything we're dealing with today? The affluent, I'll just use the word white, even though not really completely white, are moving in or sometimes sneaking in illegally to lands controlled by non-Europeans. And when you tell someone about that today, they're like, yeah, no, that sounds right. I mean, they... They deserve it. And today we put people in cages mm. or on islands. The rich the rich whites are sneaking <laughs> into the Muslim land to get rid of Sharia law. That sounds right. Yeah. Bring their own right. uh, Bible. laws, their Old Testament laws. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So in this, this first phase, it was illegal immigration the Jews were doing. Right. You, the Turks were trying to stop them. But of course... Turkey um, had people who were willing to take bribes. It was as corrupt then as it probably is now, uh, as most places are corrupt. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a particularly Turkish thing. But landowners were willing to take Jewish money 
By the way, the Jews who were buying this up, they were being funded in a certain extent. I haven't been able to work out to what extent, but mm-hmm. to a certain extent by uh, wealthy foreign Jews like the right. Rothschilds. Right. Uh, there were filthy, filthy, filthy <laughs> rotten Jews. No, f- f- foreign wealthy Jews is I'm what I was trying to say out, there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Claire, you don't have a soundboard. Uh, that. <laughs> oh, I need to start one. That. <laughs> the soundboard wars of 2019. <laughs> They were Zionists and they were funding a lot of this uh, acquisition. Right. And the landowners that, 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 that didn't live there were happy to take Jewish money, even if it was illegal. Yeah. Um, so they would sort of work with the Jews to try and get uh, around the Ottoman laws. Right. The, the last Ottoman sultan, Abdul Hamid II, said in June of 1891, wow. so 10 years after this started, why should we accept those whom the cultured Europeans turned back and expelled from their own countries. Yeah, valid point. He's got a point. Yeah. He's got a point. You don't want them in your country. Why are you forcing us to accept them in our country? Right. Didn't I someone mentioned Uganda? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) 50 years later in World War II when, when... the Germans are executing millions of Jews. The Europeans and Americans still don't want them. Yes. Nothing, and yet... Nothing changes. The Turkish are being told, well, sorry, you just got to take them. Shut up. Right. The Jews, the Jews to the Arabs, as I said, Jew, and to the Christians as well, the Jews were considered to be an inferior race. Mm-hmm. So why do we have an inferior race of useless people Evicting Muslims from their own lands seems unnatural. This isn't right. This isn't right. Yeah, yeah. the Christians don't want them, and yet, but they're coming here and kicking us off our own lands. This is this is not right. Yeah. Now, when Arabs attacked Jews in the settlements during this period, when tensions broke out, as they did very quickly, mm-hmm. and blame, there's enough blame to go around. Typically, the Arabs didn't get charged right. because the Ottoman administration kind of turned a blind eye yeah. to it in many cases. Looking at their belly button. But yeah. the great powers uh, of Europe were on the side of the Jews mm-hmm. because, uh, in, you know, I think there was a number of reasons. Partly, they sort of sympathised with the Zionist movement. Uh, they thought the Jews should have their own place. Partly because they saw it as a way to weaken the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Partly because they didn't want more Jews coming to their own lands. Yes. No, you've got your own country now. Sorry. Go. Don't. Our door's closed. Right. Yeah. And partly because of Christian Zionism, which is something I'll get into later. Mm -hmm. There was a big movement, though, in the 19th century of Christian Zionists. Still is a big thing, particularly in America. Christians right. who want to see Jews in Jerusalem because they think Jesus is going to come back and for some reason he's going to be happy to see Jews in Jerusalem. Oh, my God. Um, that's pretty just, fucked up. Sorry. No. Hmm. Doesn't that seem... Yeah. How, how much do you, do you put on um, as far as the, the Jews being protected by the European powers as far as 
you know, because I might be a Jew, but I'm also a, a citizen of the UK or France or Germany or whatever. And so if I go there and you and you mess with me, you're not only messing with the Jew, but you're messing with a, with a Frenchman or whatever. And France might get mad. I, were the Ottomans also trying to be cognizant of that about, you know, we can't just go around busting these these people's heads because the country that they came from might get upset with us and we're trading partners or whatever. So I imagine there's that political element as well. And they did use it as you know, the treatment of these minorities as excuses for war. We talked about this mm. in one of our shows at some point when Napoleon III and Russia, uh, remember, organized an invasion of the Holy Lands. Right. Um, it was partly justified by the treatment of the Christians, but really it was just Power, an right. excuse to invade yeah. the Turks. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that was part of it. And I think also part of it, and I'll talk more about this later on too, is there were lots of Jews in the United right. Kingdom and in the United States, and they voted. Ah. So you had to take into account the interests of these people and how they voted. Yeah. Because they could form voting blocks in your countries. There weren't many Muslim Arabs in the West right? Uh, in, in, in the late 19th and early 20th century. And they're not voting. So if you were a politician, if you were an MP, and I actually will quote one later on who talks about this, if you're an MP somewhere in the UK, um, you might have a bunch of Zionist Jews pushing you to help establish Israel, right. a state for the Jews. Uh, and they, they're going to vote based on what you do. There's not a lot of Arabs, Muslims in your electorate for you to have to worry about when it comes to election time. Uh. Our politics is local. So anyway, there was a bunch of yeah, there was a bunch of political reasons right. why the great powers were in support of this. Uh, now back to Theodore Herzl. Uh, a couple of years before he died, he managed to get a meeting with uh, the Sultan Abdul Hamid mm-hmm. around 1901. He tried a few years earlier and been rebuffed. He finally did get a meeting with him, and they agreed to some terms. Okay, didn't really help the Jews much. Right. But uh, like the, the, the foreigners who wanted to emigrate there. But the Sultan did agree that Jewish Ottoman citizens mm-hmm. would be allowed to buy land in Palestine, but no foreigners. Ah. So, of course, what the Jews did was get the Jewish citizens to buy land up on their behalf. Um, he also agreed that Jewish tourists would be allowed to visit Palestine for pilgrimages to the Holy Land. Right. But of course, when a lot of them turned up there, they never left. Fuck. Smart. And because the local authorities were all available to be bribed, the bakshish, the uh, Turkish word for bribery, um, which continues in our uh, terminology today. Uh, yeah, you can always bribe the local authorities to look the other way if you overstood your tourist visa. So thousands and thousands of illegal Jewish tourists would come and stay, bribe the uh, authorities to look the other way, and all of the uh, Jewish Ottoman citizens were able to buy land, which they were doing back backroom deals to sell to these uh, illegal immigrants. Does this just feel like a giant historical force to you that can't be stopped. I mean, this, the Sultan, whoever can, 
put whatever limits on numbers on pages, whatever he wants. But between the, the, the tourists, between the people legally coming over, and as you said a minute ago, the people who were legally coming over, I mean, this is just a wave, a human wave, and they're well-funded and they're well-motivated. I mean, this is just something that's, I think, out of everybody's control who is trying to stop it for now. Yeah, but you know, more to the point, a lot of people were encouraging it. Everyone except the right. Ottomans were encouraging Absolutely. it. For all those reasons I said yeah. before. A British official wrote in 1900, foreign Jews are not supposed to be allowed to settle in Palestine, but Jewish settlers from Europe often arrive in Haifa, where there seem to be exceptional facilities for their admission by pecuniary arrangement with the local officials. Wink, wink. Now, I mentioned, um, I think in an earlier episode, where I was quoting the one of the founders of Zionism, Ahad Chaim, mm-hmm that uh, a lot of Jews were, had been led to believe uh, that Palestine was empty. Right. Terra nullis. Uh, no one there before they got there. There was a Zionist slogan, a land without people for a people without a land. Ooh, that's Barry and Stan level. Yeah. That was, it was Barry and Stan <laughs> who came up with that. Um both of whom, of course, were Jews. Right. Well, yeah, uh, it's obvious. And it, the, the true founders of <laughs> Zionism, they don't, they never wanted right. to take credit for it because they had a lot of Muslim clients, quite frankly. Yeah. And, Good call. Uh, and Christian clients, and they didn't want to be perceived to have a political bias, but they, they, they were the founders of Zionism because um, <laughs> they knew Jews were going to be a big market for them eventually yeah. if they could uh, get them a land of their own. It's all, it's all economics at the end. Um, but that slogan, a land without people for a people without land, wasn't actually invented by a Zionist. Huh. It was invented by a Christian Zionist. Oh. Um, a Jew didn't come up with that. It was Lord Shaftesbury <laughs> in his memoirs in 1854 who wrote A Land Without People for a People Without a Land. Now, he was a evangelical Anglican right. who believed in the imminent second coming of Christ. Here we go. He was a leading Christian Zionist of his day. Now, as I said before, Christian Zionism is this belief that the return of the Jews to the Holy Land is vital and in accordance with biblical prophecy and it has to happen before... Jesus could come back. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to ask. But, the one thing I, I wasn't quite clear on is, is that one of the stages that has to, is that one of the boxes that has to be checked before Jesus comes back? Or is there a chance that Jesus comes back? He doesn't see the Jews back in Palestine and he might get miffed and maybe leave again. But from what you just said, it sounds like it's one of the yeah. requirements. Magic door opens up. Jesus <laughs> walks through with his suitcase. I'm home. Uh, ready to do business. Right. He takes a look around. He goes, whoa, whoa. less than 50% of the population, the Jew, turns around, puts his sunglasses <laughs> back on, walks back through the door. See you in another 2,000 years, bitches! That's their fear is what's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's it's their interpretation of biblical <sighs> prophecy that, uh, you know, when, when the Jews have taken over the land right. and everyone's worshipping Yahweh, then <laughs> the second coming will happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, like I've read the Bible and all of the stuff about the second coming and the prophecies and all this kind of stuff, and it's fucking light on, man. Like there is much supporting evidence in the Bible really? for this oh. as there is in Nostradamus for JFK's assassination. Like if you if you stand on one right. foot and <laughs> um, close yeah. one eye, <laughs> you know, your put, pull your tongue right. out, yeah. <laughs> And uh, whistle Dixie, <laughs> and then read it. Maybe you can kind of oh, see God. how it all oh, works, God. but uh, you know it's stretch. flimsy, flimsy, gotcha. flimsy, flimsy. But that doesn't that doesn't stop people because they don't read the Bible. They don't care what it says anyway. They believe what they want to yeah. believe the, and what it actually says, bits. and who who wrote right. it. You know, of course, as I as I point out in my film, the founder of Christianity, Paul. Mm-hmm believe Jesus, the second coming, or he didn't actually call it the second coming, he just called it the coming because he didn't even know Jesus had been there the first time, really. Um, he's like, what, really? And I missed oh, it? Well, he's coming, he's coming back. Well, we'll just call that the coming then because, you know, I missed the first one. If I wasn't there, there's no party right. if I'm not there. Uh, he believed Jesus was going to come in his, Paul's lifetime. Right. In Paul's epistles, he writes several times, you know, all of us will still be alive when Jesus comes. Right. Uh, that obviously didn't happen, and so and then you know the authors of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, all thought it was going to happen in their lifetime too. Still didn't happen. By the time we get to the last Gospel, John, written in the sort of early second century, probably is when he starts saying, "Well, listen, we don't know when it's going to happen, but yeah. it's oh, going to yeah, happen." Yeah, yeah. And when it happens, it's going to be fucking awesome. So Gear just up. hang yeah. tight, yeah. kittens. And I, by kittens, I don't mean assassins of Sarah Alexander II. Just, I mean kids right. and kittens, right. cats and kittens. Trying to be hip, get down with the hipster jive. I think that's how the kids <laughs> do, speak do these they? days. Okay. Cats and kittens. All right. So Maybe I watched Happy Days recently. Hey. Um, <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, like, the earliest Christians didn't think it was going to come when Jews took over Israel because they were oppressed by the Romans and they thought it was going to happen any day now. Anywho, Shaftesbury, Anglican, is a a Christian Zionist. Um, He's he's a big proponent of uh, restoring the Jews to the Holy Land and becomes the first sort of British politician to come up with a proposal to resettle the Jews in Palestine. Okay. So my point here is that uh, uh, there was this quasi-religious motivation on behalf of Christians, Western Christians, to support the settlement of the Jews. In 1838, Mm -hmm. so well before the Russian pogroms, Shaftesbury wrote, The soil and climate of Palestine are singularly adapted to the growth of produce required for the exigencies of Great Britain. The finest cotton may be obtained in almost unlimited abundance. Silk and madder are the staple of the country, and olive oil is now, as it ever was, the very fatness of the land. Capital and skill are alone required." The presence of a British officer and the increased security of property 
which his presence will confer, may invite them from these islands to the cultivation of Palestine. And the Jews, who will betake themselves to agriculture in no other land, having found in the English consul a mediator between their people and the Pacha, will probably return in yet greater numbers and become once more the husbandman of Judea and Galilee. So as always, <laughs> cats and kittens, Shaftesbury was thinking, well, Jesus, of course, and who's white? Fuck, we could make some money. We could make some money out of this land if we could, if we can convince the Jews to go back there, right? Uh, Work hard. and put some British military in there. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, we could make some. We could make yeah. some money. So as always, yeah. Follow the money. Qui bono, right. Jesus and money. Always, you know, Jesus loved the bling bling, man. Right. We've said this before. A um, couple of follow-up questions. Lord Shaftesbury, um, his quote, a land without people for a people without a land. Had he been to Palestine? I mean, did he do a tour? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think he saw a picture in a book once. <laughs> and, uh, you okay. know, he no. thought. That's fine. It's qualified. It's pretty. Looks. looks I know pretty good. Right. You're probably going to move on to another subject. So just a follow up question to something you said a second ago. Uh, the Jews are now back in Palestine. Yes. When? When are we? To- when no. Are we, we're, what, what are we we're, talking we're, about? We're when? jumping. We're jumping way, way ahead to the future. I'm just trying to figure out why Jesus is not here yet. If oh yeah, if one well, of those other. Or maybe I missed it because yeah. I've been pretty busy lately. Well, no, there's still some Muslims there, man. They still got the, oh. you know, Gaza and the West Bank and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a one hundred percent thing. Gotcha. Got to be one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. God's <laughs> not, you know, he's not half-assing it. All right. I, no, I, I, no, thank no. you. Look, you know, there was a time when he he forgot to remove the foreskins from everyone <laughs> when he made them. So that was the last time he was <laughs> he ever was going to do things by half measures. Right. Uh, he's not from, yeah, from no, he's on. not sending Jesus back until no. it's uh I see an Arab. Did you did 100%. God's not happy. Yeah. One Arab. Yeah. It's in the Bible. If I come back and I see one fucking, fucking Muslim <laughs> What's a Muslim, Lord? <laughs> Well, don't worry about it. 600 years from now, there's going to be this thing going. It's a whole fucking thing. I don't don't have time to go into it. All I want to say is (laughs) keep an eye out for them because they'll be there. And if I see one fucking Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. It's all got to be Jews and Christians. Right. What's a Christian, Lord? Oh, well, that's that's what you'll end up calling yourselves. When you break away from Judaism. (laughs) What? We're going to break. We are. Are you a Jew? Well, yes, I'm a Jew, but Jewish. listen, I'm quite frankly, right, Jewy, but uh, you know, it's hour three. Don't let that stop you. By yeah, the way, if you're wondering which Earl of Shaftesbury this was, it was Anthony Ashley Cooper, the seventh uh, Earl wow. of Ashbury. Wow, who was the uh, the Jewish restorationist? Good, good for him. Um, yeah, uh, he know, known for uh, many things, child labour and factory reform. Oh, good for him. Um, yeah, he, he was like, well, let's. We don't want 
kids working in factories. Let's get the Jews to do it instead. Right. (laughs) In their own land. He also served as the first president of the Society for the Suppression of the Opium Trade. Oh. So, you know... Not a bad guy, really, in the history of Earls of Shaftesbury. Right. He's my favourite. <laughs> Apart from the, the whole one. Zionist thing. Right, yeah. Yeah. Apart one. from the whole Zionism thing, he was not a bad Decent Earl bloke. of Shaftesbury. He would have been a good master. Yeah. He would have been a good master. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Jesus. <laughs> oh. uh, anywho, <laughs> where are we? Let's get back to, let's wrap this thing up. Where are we going for time? Oh, we're nearly at the end of this. Um, I want to get back to Ahad Chayam. <laughs> Try that again. Ahad Chayam, the uh, uh-huh. Zionist, uh, one of the fathers of Zionism. Right. Um, in 1891, as I mentioned, he, he did a visit to Palestine, stayed there three months on that visit, and right. um, he wrote... The Arabs are generally seen by the Zionists as primitive, dishonest, fatalistic, lazy, and savage. Damn. Uh, as much as European colonists, 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 yeah, colonists, colonoscopies. <laughs> much as European colonists viewed the Native Americans or right. the indigenous Australians or the Indians, you know, or the everywhere they went Standard. by that, I mean, people in India. Right. Um, you know, they saw all, all of these people as all of these things. This, they dehumanised the people wherever they went. Zionists basically saw, according to Ahar Khayyam, saw the, the Arabs in Palestine the same way. The Zionist leader Moshe Shmilansky in 1914 wrote... Right. We must not forget that we are dealing here with a semi-savage people which has extremely primitive concepts, and this is his nature. If he senses in you power, he will submit and will hide his hatred for you. If he senses weakness, he will dominate you. Moreover, owing to the many tourists and urban Christians, Mm -hmm. there developed among the Arabs base values which are not common among other primitive people. To lie, to cheat, to harbour grave and unfounded suspicions and to tell tales and a hidden hatred for the Jews. These Semites are anti-Semites. Ah... I mean, he was describing them like dogs, that's, basically. Don't show any fear. Yeah. You can dominate them. I mean, that's insane. But everybody does it. These Semites are anti-Semites. I like that. That's what. It's one of the great lines. Good wordplay. Uh, now, what are the other things to understand about this? These early waves, the the first and second Aliyah, the the waves of immigration, as they're known, the Aliyah. Mm-hmm. Mostly contained Russian immigrants, as we said before, because of the pogroms. And most of these Russian immigrants were communists, socialists, anarchists, free thinkers, and atheists. Ah, hmm. okay. Because they were communists, and communists were atheists. Gotcha. Gotcha. Typically, not all communists were atheists, but most of them were. Russian. Well, German communism under Marx and Engels promoted um, atheism. Not necessarily necessarily has to be state-mandated, but they did think that religion was one of the tools of the oppression mm-hmm. by the elite of the proletariat and that it should, it should be removed. 
Uh, and not every communist country did remove religion, but the Russian Revolution did for a while. Then Stalin right. brought it back during World War Two um, to sort of bolster support, uh, get the Orthodox Church to bolster support to fight against the Nazis. But generally speaking, right. uh, in most communist countries, most communists were atheists. So a lot of these Russian immigrants are moving to the Holy Land, Ooh. but they're communists, anarchists, and atheists. And back so, home, when they'd yeah. been in Russia, they had denied or denounced Judaism as right. well as God because they were communists. Yeah. Were they forced to by the state or is that just because of their communist beliefs? Dude, the, the communist revolution didn't happen until 1917. Oh, that's right. We're talking about Sorry. immigration Time from 1881 to 1917. They're already gotcha. communists. They're not forced. The state is Christian Orthodox. Right. Sorry, I forgot where we were in the timeline. And, okay. Right. So so, they, they, so you got a whole bunch of anarchist, communist, atheists <laughs> yes. moving to yeah. Muslim lands. Treating the Arabs like shit. And, and yeah. treating them like shit. And they're free thinkers and anarchists. Now, anarchists don't like... They didn't like the Tsarist government. They're not going to like the Ottoman right. government. They didn't speak any Arab, had no understanding or appreciation of Islam or, or the local customs. Sure. They're revolutionaries yes. who were coming to create a new society uh, and didn't, who didn't give a fuck about the locals who were there. They're according to a, an Arabic pamphlet written in 1914, which is during the second Aliyah, the second wave of immigration, mm-hmm. it was, he said that this... this, this bunch of immigrants that were coming were composed of German revolutionaries, Russian nihilists, and vagabonds from other nations. Damn. So that's... The Arabs didn't like them. They saw them as foreign invaders who were atheist revolutionaries. The same way that in America they were clamping down on immigration. Uh, in, in the UK they were clamping down on immigration of Europeans, and particularly European Jews, because mm-hmm. they thought of them as communist anarchists. Right. The same thing the Arabs thought at this period as well. All these communist, anarchist, atheists are coming to take my country. Right. But the ones, the Jews that are coming to, some of the Jews that are coming are, are, like you said, backed by very rich Jews and they're buying up land and gobbling up land and kicking out Arabs off and the ones they aren't kicking off, they're treating like shit. I mean, how could the Ottoman Empire not be extremely anxious about what's going on in this area. Now, one of the people um, who provides a great first-hand perspective of this is Sir Ronald Storrs. In 1917, Storrs became, as he called himself, the first military governor of Jerusalem since Pontius Pilate. He, under the uh, British mandate, he was the British military governor of this area. And um, interesting guy, he wrote a book about it, Later, decades later, uh, 1940, he wrote a book called Lawrence of Arabia, Zionism and Palestine. He was a good friend of Lawrence of Arabia, was one of the pallbearers at his funeral. Wow. Um, And he, uh, quite an interesting book. Like he uh, has criticisms for both the Zionists and the Arabs that were in his territory. Mm -hmm. Um. But we've run out of time. So in our next episode, I want to talk about Sir Ronald Storrs' views as governor of this area. 
I want to talk about Chaim Weitzman. Right. Uh, uh, the uh, guy who sort of made the Balfour Declaration happen, also invented TNT, mm-hmm. um, and was the first president of the State of Israel. Wow. I want to talk about, uh, you know, Ben-Gurion, lots of other things. Uh, but right. that will be the, the, the first outbreaks of major violence at places like Petra Tikva, Petach Tikva, Petra. Right. Good job. The tick, Petrarch, the tickler. Um, <laughs> but that that will have to be uh, in our next episode of the Cold War. Thank you for playing, ladies and gentlemen. After all of this... I don't know what to believe. But I'm impressed. And I'm just assuming. I'm not trying to be a dead. It's the golden rule. And you just, just the gold you know, like, guns. Well, and again... <laughs> I need a soundboard. <laughs> I need a fucking soundboard. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so sad. Oh. An iron curtain has descended across the continent.